So bow with me in uh, prayer and we'll get started. Father, uh, teach us now uh, through Jeremiah's life. Uh, Teach us uh, how from weakness we can be made strong to stand alone uh, for you. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. So again, our third lesson is on Jeremiah. It's entitled, From Weakness Made Strong to Stand Alone for God. Uh, To help me to be a good little boy, I'll try to stay pretty close uh, to the notes and the early parts, just sort of work through that very, very quickly. Uh, You'll notice I maybe have gone into a little more detail about Jeremiah's life and ministry because you're probably uh, not as familiar uh, with Jeremiah and his ministry as you were with Joseph and David. So uh, again, not going into great detail, just giving you sort of a snapshot of the man, his message, his uh, ministry. But look at the uh, man first. Uh, He was born into a priestly family, uh, but called by God to be a prophet. And as we're going to see, he probably wished he would have remained a priest and uh, not a uh, prophet. Uh, Jeremiah, as you know, was known as the weeping prophet. Uh, And that is because, and I think this is significant, uh, he did not merely speak for God, but he actually felt God's broken heart over the spiritual adultery of his people. And he did not merely speak to God's people. Uh, He felt the consequences of their sin with them and uh, and suffered with them. So Jeremiah really is a marvelous object lesson for all time of God's suffering and persevering love in the presence of man's rebellion and sin. Now look at his primary message. Jeremiah called on the nation of Judah to repent from their sin or suffer destruction and captivity at the hands of the Babylonians, which was the major world empire at that time. Uh, Once the invasion was certain because of their sin, uh, of Judah's refusal to repent, he pleaded... Uh, with his countrymen not to resist the Babylonians, but to submit in order to avoid just total destruction. Uh, The heart of Jeremiah's message is captured in two reoccurring phrases you see in the book. Uh, First one is, I will punish. And that message is strong in this book as uh, God denounces them for their sin uh, and letting them know if they don't turn, if they don't repent, Uh, They will be punished. There will be consequences. And then the other key phrase is, I will restore. Uh, That the last word will not be man's failure due to his sin. The last word will be the triumph of God's love uh, to redeem uh, his people. Uh, So uh, though God uh, will severely wound his people for their sin, as I mentioned, the last word would not be their demise, but uh, the healing of God's people through his love. Now his ministry... And this is important for us to see, and uh, something I'm going to do here that I wasn't planning to do, but I'm going to do sort of an abbreviated version of it, but I think it's important. Uh, Jeremiah was born uh, during the reign of uh, Manasseh. Uh, Manasseh was the most wicked of all of Judah's kings, had the longest reign of any king of 55 years. Uh, His ministry began in the 13th year of Josiah. That's when his ministry began, 13th year of Josiah. Josiah would have been Manasseh's uh, uh, grandson. Uh, 
And his ministry, and this is very significant, spanned, this is amazing, five decades, over 50 years, covering Judah's last five kings. He was the last prophet to a decaying nation, and this is significant, who never saw any success in ministry as God plunged uh, uh, the people into his judgment. Uh, Jeremiah witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem. He would have died during the early uh, years of the 70-year Babylonian uh, captivity. And I've given you the uh, portions of Scripture that would provide you the good historical background uh, for this man's uh, ministry. And this is where I just want to maybe just insert a little parenthesis and, uh, and, and that's to give you a little better glimpse into the day in which he lived and why judgment was so imminent. If you uh, have your Bibles, take them and turn to 2 Kings 23. And I'm going to do all this briefly. I actually have an entire message on this called Inescapable Judgment. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, you'd be interested to know this. It was the message that I gave right here at Edgewood Baptist years ago that thrust us into this ministry. Uh, and so I'm just going to give you sort of an abbreviated uh, uh, look, and this to help you understand uh, Jeremiah's day and uh, what he was uh, dealing with. Second uh, Kings uh, 23 records the reign of King Josiah. If you know your biblical history, he was the child king. Remember, he became king at the young age of eight, and he was uh, as great a king as Judah ever knew. Uh, we're told as a teenage boy, he began to seek God. And then as a result of seeking God, uh, he orchestrated probably the greatest national reformation ever experienced in the history of the nation. Uh, because of the sins of his grandfather Manasseh, uh, Manasseh had literally turned the temple into a house of idolatry and prostitution, literally. Uh, Manasseh had attempted to uh, erase from the culture, from the people, God's Word. I mean, literally destroying God's Word so that they would not have it. It was uh, the most wicked of times. And, uh, and I, we would, I would love to know how God gripped this young man's uh, heart. Uh, was it through the influence of Jeremiah? Uh, possibly. We believe his, uh, although his father was a very wicked man by the name of Ammon that had a very short two years and then was assassinated by his own bodyguards, uh, we believe his mother was a godly woman. Uh, so that could be great encouragement to uh, some of our single moms uh, wrestling with uh, raising children that uh, you can have an impact, you can have influence. But we really don't know we're certain. But either way, man, he, I mean, God captured this kid and uh, and uh, so he, he starts this massive project to renovate the temple, to prepare it for the worship of the one true God, uh, because they had gotten away from Passover, Sabbaths, I mean, all the ceremonial feasts, everything. And so he finds this old priest by the name of Hilkai and, uh, that he can trust, and he basically gives him the project. Well, they're renovating the temple, and lo and behold, they find a copy 
of God's word. That apparently had been hidden in the wall of the temple by some faithful uh, priest uh, during Manasseh's day. And this, of course, would have been the five, uh, first five books of the Bible, the, the, the Pentateuch. And uh, so they, they, they get this, they, they bring it to Josiah, and they said, look what we have found. And of course, Josiah is very excited, and he says, read it to me. And in one reading, can you imagine? The king is sitting there, and they read him from Genesis all the way through the book of Deuteronomy. When the reading is concluded, Josiah becomes broken with grief, shame, how they've brought reproach. I mean, he finally realized just how far they had strayed from God. He goes into deep repentance. He comes out of that, and he, he, he brings all the nation together. He reads them the Word of God. He says, we need to enter covenant to follow this. And then he instituted a campaign to remove all the idolatry from the land. I mean, just a, I mean, just a clean house and restore worship, which he did. And uh, so look at uh, just a summary, 2 Kings 23, verse 24. Moreover, Josiah removed the mediums and the spiritists and the teraphim and the idols and all, all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might confirm the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of God. And look at this glowing commendation of Josiah. And before him, there was no king like him, who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Wow, wouldn't you like to have an evaluation like that by God? You know, there's never been a pregnancy center director ever anywhere like this one right here that has a heart for me, that's turned me. It's just a glowing recommendation. But we need to keep reading. And this takes us into what Jeremiah was dealing with. Verse 26, amazing verse. Right after that. However, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of His great wrath, with which His anger burned against Judah. Now, the first time I read that, I said, God, I don't understand. I mean, you got Josiah on the throne. Good Josiah. And he's instituted this tremendous reformation. And you're telling me, despite his godly leadership, despite this reformation, he could not avert judgment from the nation. And, and, and the Lord said, Andy, please keep reading. Okay. And then he, sa- and he gives the reason. He gives the reason. He says, because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. Now, I'll be honest, the first time I read that, uh, matter of fact, these are some of the verses that God used me. I'll talk a little bit more about this tonight, used to call me to this ministry. And I said, when I read that, I said, wait a minute, i got a bigger problem now. Manasseh's dead. He's in the grave. Josiah's on the throne. Good Josiah. Goodness gracious, God, what in the world did Manasseh do that was so evil, so wicked, that the godly leadership of Josiah could not avert God's judgment? Now, it is important for me to mention, because this is important, although Josiah's heart was just pure and, interest, and, and instituted this incredible national reformation, we are told by the prophet Jeremiah 
that the people's heart really was not in it. He says on the people's heart, it was just a sham. They followed Josiah, and they benefited from uh, godly leadership and the prosperity that it brought to the nation. Uh, but you see, the moment Josiah is no longer king, they just, boom, right back. So that's important uh, uh, to mention. So, again, but I ask, God, what did Manasseh do? I mean, your people had been guilty of idolatry numerous times in their history. They've been guilty of immorality. What? So he said, would you please take your Bible, Andy, and go back to 2 Kings 21, where you have the reign of Manasseh. And I'll just mention two verses that spell out the unique sin of Manasseh that he led the children of uh, Judah into. Verse 6, and he made his son pass through the fire. And of course, I think all of you know what that's referring to. It's referring to the worship of the false god Molech. It was half man, half beast. His arms were outstretched. Underneath those arms were a furnace. They would heat that furnace up where the uh, uh, brass arms of that uh, idol were just literally red hot. And they would literally take their babies, their infants, and burn them to death, believing that this would ensure the nation peace and prosperity because of the sacrifice of their child. And Manasseh actually did this himself. We could go to other scriptures. He led the nation into this practice, not just him, but the entire nation. And then look at verse 16. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood until he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another. Besides his sin with which he made Judah sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Now go to 2 Kings 24. So we find what the unique sin is. And what, and what you need to see is pregnancy center workers. So important. Folks, the shedding of innocent blood in terms of God's view of a culture, the line he's drawn in the sand is the shedding of innocent blood. We may commit idolatry, we might commit immorality, no excuse for that, and that's going to bring consequences, but God says, once you cross this line, that's an attack so directly on me, because I've created man in my image. And if you surrender the sanctity of human life, there's now no basis for any moral absolutes in your society. And we're seeing that, of course, in the United States of America, right? And we have filled this nation from one end to another with the shedding of innocent blood. So in chapter 24 is when the judgment came at the hands of the Babylonian. Look at verse 2. And the Lord sent against him bands of Chaldeans, bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites, the bands of Ammonites. So he sent them against Judah to destroy it according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through his servants, the prophets. One of those would have been Jeremiah. Another one would have been Habakkuk, others. Verse 3, surely at the command of the Lord it came upon Judah to remove them from his sight. Why? Because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done, and also for the innocent blood which he shed. For he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Lord would not forgive. And of course the Lord would not forgive because the people would not repent. Turn to Second. Chronicles chapter 36. And we see this very, very clearly. Second Chronicles 36, 
Verse 15, it says, And the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again and again by His messengers, because He had compassion for His people and on His dwelling place. But they continually mocked the messengers of God, as we're going to see, Jeremiah was one of them, despised God's words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. One more, Jeremiah 15, just to tie this into the prophet himself. Jeremiah 15, verse 1. He says, then the Lord said to me, even though Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not be with this people. Send them away from my presence and let them go. And it shall be uh, that when they say to you, where should we go? Then you are to tell them, Jeremiah, thus says the Lord, those destined for death to death. Those destined for the sword to the sword. Those destined for famine to famine. Those destined for captivity to captivity. And I shall appoint over them four kinds of doom, declares the Lord. The sword to slay, the dogs to drag off, and the birds of the sky and the beasts of the earth to devour and destroy. And I shall make them an object of horror among all the kingdoms of the earth because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, the king of Judah, for what he did in Jerusalem. And the reason I felt it was important to share that with you, you need to understand this nation is standing under the judgment of God. And as I mentioned last night, you know, I mentioned Ezekiel 22, which refers to this same period of history where eight times he singles out the shedding of innocent blood as the reason for God's judgment. And God said, even at that point... I looked for a man, just a single man standing in the gap that I would not destroy the land, but I found no one. Praise God you're standing in the gap. Please understand the importance of your ministries in light of this culture and where it stands before God. And we also need to see the dire straits that we're in as a nation. If we do not repent over the shedding of innocent blood and return to the sanctity of human life out of honor and obedience to God. Well, this was the judgment that Jeremiah was pronouncing. Now look at his misery, and this takes us into the heart of the lesson. No servant of God. This is no embellishment. This is accurate. No servant of God ever suffered more physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual anguish over such a long period of time as Jeremiah. As I mentioned, his ministry spanned five decades with discouragement and depression continually dogging his steps. He was branded a false prophet. He was branded a traitor of the nation, which brought him nothing but ridicule, total isolation, and severe persecution. Despite all of this, he never quit. And he remained faithful to God to the very end. That's just, to me, that's just amazing. Can you, can you imagine operating your center for five decades and never seeing a moment of success with a client or anyone? That's what this man dealt with, five decades, and he's just the enemy. 
Now, I give you some examples, and these are just a few of the examples. There are more, and I'll just run through them quick. Look there. Uh, Men from his hometown secretly plot to kill him. His own family betrays him. He is beaten and put in uh, stocks uh, to publicly publicly humiliate him. And this is done more than once. He says that he became a laughingstock all day long. All his trusted friends, we're told, are watching for his fall and ready to take revenge. He is arrested by the religious leaders as a traitor to the nation and accused of treason deserving the death penalty. He is forbidden to go into the temple and all his writings are burned and destroyed by the king. And praise God for a faithful scribe. And that's why we have the book of Jeremiah because after they were burned, he rewrote it. Uh, He is beaten, scourged, thrown into prison for many days on the false accusation that he was defecting to the Babylonians. He's imprisoned in a muddy cistern where he is literally let down with ropes to sink into the mud and left there to starve to death. He is held under arrest in the courtyard of the guard until Jerusalem was captured by the Babylonians. And I could go on and on. Now, here's the key truth. And this really thrust us into this wonderful lesson this afternoon. The question there, where did Jeremiah find the strength to boldly stand alone for God in the public eye and face constant rejection and persecution. And the answer is this, by being totally honest about his weakness and disappointment when alone with God. By being totally honest about his weakness and disappointment when alone with God. With all human support removed and surrounded by enemies, the prophet was compelled to lean on God alone. Sound familiar? Joseph, David. God used persecution to drive Jeremiah to his word, to drive Jeremiah to a life of prayer in which all the pain, all the perplexities formed an indissoluble link between the prophet's soul, and God's. And let me just give you a couple of examples. And it'd be great if you could turn there. Uh, again, back to Jeremiah 15. And these examples just show how honest Jeremiah got before God. How transparent. Uh, Jeremiah 15, I'll begin reading in verse 15 through the end of the chapter. Thou who knowest, O Lord, remember me. Take notice of me. And take vengeance for me on my persecutors. Uh, Do not, in view of thy patience, take me away. Know that for thy sake I endured reproach. Thy words were found, and I ate them. And thy words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I have been called by thy name. O Lord God of hosts, I did not sit in the circle of merrymakers, nor did I exult. Because of thy hand upon me I sat alone. For thou didst fill me with indignation. Why has my pain been perpetual and my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Wilt thou indeed be to me like a deceptive stream with water that is unreliable? Do you hear what he's saying to God? He's getting along with God and said, you know, you've deceived me. You called me into ministry, but you didn't tell me it was going to be this bad. And I just know perpetual pain. And there's no way out. 
you trapped me, you deceived me. I mean, he's railing against God at this point. And the, the earlier verses, it's sort of like, I don't, I don't deserve this. You know, I, I ate your words. They were the joy and rejoicing of my heart. I, I didn't run with the sinners. I, I did stand alone, faithful to your word. And this is what I get? Five decades of this? This just ain't right, Lord. Something's wrong here. And then chapter 20, even worse or even stronger. Because here, and be careful before you laugh, it's like Jeremiah is a schizo. But we should all be able to relate to that. Because let's be honest, we all do this, right? Look at, uh, let me begin at uh, verse 7. Here we go again. Oh Lord, you've deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou hast overcome me and prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. For each time I speak, I cry aloud. I proclaim violence and destruction. Because for me, the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. But if I say, I will not remember him or speak anymore in his name, then in my heart, it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I am weary of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. See what he, he says, I'm trapped. He says, I speak your word as a prophet. I just get hit with nothing but ridicule and mocking and persecution. I would like to shut up. I'd like to get away from this pain. But if I shut up, your words burn in me, and I can't endure it. He just feels trapped by God and the calling that he's placed on his life. Verse 10, for I've heard the whispering of many, terror on every side. Denounce him, yes, let us denounce him. All my trusted friends watching for my fall say, perhaps he will be deceived so that we may prevail against him and take our revenge on him. But here's schizo Jeremiah now. Things turn. But the Lord is with me like a dread champion. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will be utterly ashamed because they have failed with an everlasting disgrace that will not be forgotten. Yes, O Lord of hosts, thou dost test the righteous who seest the mind and the heart. Let me see thy vengeance on them, for to thee I have set forth my cause. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the soul of the needy one from the hand of the evildoers. Now we're back to schizo. Cursed, cursed be the day I was born. Let the day not be blessed when my mother bore me. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father, saying, A baby boy has been born to you, and made him very happy. But let that man be like the cities which the Lord overthrew without relenting, and let him hear an outcry in the morning, and a shout of alarm at noon, because he did not kill me before birth, so that my mother would have been my grave, and her womb ever pregnant. Why did I ever come forth from the womb to look on trouble and sorrow so that my days have been spent in shame? Folks, that's pretty brutally honest. (laughs) Would you not admit? Now, here's the most amazing thing about Jeremiah. He literally does stand alone for God in his culture. It's it's absolutely amazing. He stands toe-to-toe with kings with princes, with religious leaders. 
an entire nation, pronouncing God's judgment against them, despite the fact they hate him and they persecute him throughout his entire ministry. Over five decades, he never flinches once. He never falters. He is like the rock of Gibraltar, like a tower of strength in the eyes of the public. But get this man alone with God, and you see a different man. You see a different story. You see him weak. You see him frightened. You see him timid. You see him ready to quit. And he throws innumerable pity parties before God. Now, this is what Jeremiah teaches us. And it's such an important lesson. It's okay in the pain and perplexity of our suffering to question God. I'll say that again. In our pain, in our perplexity, it's okay to question God. It's okay, like Jeremiah, even to doubt God. As long as we take those perplexities and those doubts to God. It was only when Jeremiah, only when Jeremiah became totally honest with God, willing to share with God the good, the bad, and the ugly, only then did Jeremiah overcome the depths of discouragement and remain his faith and hope in God. You know, uh, this is a lesson that you see in every great biblical hero of faith. We've already seen it in Joseph and David as well. They all struggled. They all wrestled with disappointment with God. They all wrestled with anger with God. But the one constant that you see, that if you read the script, they're always bringing that to God. Because they know that's the only place it can be resolved. Because He's a sovereign God. And the story is not finished yet, although they're very confused in the middle of the plot because it seems to not make any sense whatsoever. So the lessons to be learned from Jeremiah, they're simple, but very, very profound and important. Here's the first one, especially for those in ministry, face reality, face reality. Darkness, depression, despair, and disappointment that results from adversity or persecution are legitimate spiritual experiences. I'll say that again because you might, did I really read that right? Did I hear the pastor right? Darkness, depression, despair, and disappointment. The results from adversity or persecution are legitimate spiritual experiences. Just as there will be mountaintop experiences, there will be lessons that we have to learn in the valley of disappointment. This is inescapable. Now, the wealth, health, wealth, and prosperity folks will tell you a little different, but that's just all lies. You know, we, we forget that there are as nearly as many psalms, and you can check this out, there are as nearly as many psalms of protest and complaint against God as there are 
psalms of praise and thanksgiving. Don't do it now. But I'll give you a little, I'll give you a little bedtime reading. Read Psalm 88. You'll never see that psalm read in church. You'll never see it on the big screens because it is just too blame depressing. There is, there is nothing but depression in that psalm. My point is, face reality. None of us are going to be able to escape that walking with God and in the challenges of, of, of ministry. But again, as we've already seen with Joseph and David, God's working through all that to build our faith in Him, to remove those human supports, to drive us to God. We're in intimacy with God. We discover what? He's enough. And where exalting Christ becomes more important than escaping whatever the adversity or persecution might be. Look at the second truth. Be real. Man, we see that with Jeremiah. Be real. Don't put on a mask before God and try to act like something you're not. In other words, it's okay. It is absolutely okay to express raw emotions to God. I guarantee God is never going to gasp in surprise and say, I would have never believed that about you. <laughs> guarantee. And this truth is so important. The suffering can only be endured when the pain is articulated. And that's always the first step to healing. Look at Lamentations 2.19. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. And of course, you know what the book of Lamentations is, don't you? It's Jeremiah's eulogy over the city of Jerusalem as he sees dead corpses laid throughout the city that had been ravaged by the Babylonians. Their buildings, walls destroyed. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. You want to hear a man being real with God? This is C.S. Lewis describing the experience of feeling neglected by God when he was overcome by grief at the loss of his wife. He lost her to cancer. And this is a man just being real. I mean, some of the language can shock you. You say, well, that's not true, C.S. Lewis. He's just being real. Like we need to be real. He says, meanwhile, where is God? This is one of the most disquieting symptoms. When you are happy, so happy you have no sense of needing Him, if you turn to Him with praise, you'll be welcomed with open arms. But go to Him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face. And a sound... He can feel this man's pain. And the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. You may as well turn away. You know, that was taken from his book, Grief Observed, where he basically journaled his grief experience with his wife. And of course, did he come out the other end? Yes. 
Yes. He eventually was able to resolve his grief in the presence of God and move forward with purpose and guidance and direction and certainty and and assurance. But it was a process. And he had to start by being real with God where he actually was. You know, this may help some of you. It's helped me. Um, You know, the one thing we clearly see in the Bible is that God loves us so much. He loves his child so much. When necessary, he's willing to be temporarily misunderstood. Because there's no one that's working for our ultimate good like God, right? No one. Again, we've seen all day. We get lost in that maze. We get lost in that dark cave of despair. We get lost like Jeremiah in the pain and perplexity. But reality is no one loves us like God. No one is more committed to our ultimate good as we've already seen. And so he's willing to be misunderstood. Just like any parent. When he's doing some training or disciplining or correcting, whatever it might be, where the child can rail against you, but you maintain the course because you know ultimately it's what? For the good of the child. Look at the third and last lesson we can take from Jeremiah. Face reality, be real, and then keep relying on God. Keep relying on God. In difficult times, there is no one to turn to but God. Because God is the final reference point for all of life. But remember, when we are plexed, perplexed, and this is so important, and I've learned this in my life, God does not explain things. He doesn't bother to give us explanation, but He gives us promises to be an anchor for our soul when we're going through that maze of darkness or that cave of despair, whatever the difficulty is, He gives us promises. Of course, He gives us promises because we are His masterpiece. He's after building our faith, taking us deeper into the character of Christ. And as we've talked about earlier, using our adversity as a backdrop to demonstrate His reality to others. Uh, look at Psalm 42, verses 5 and 11. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him. Not there yet, but He keep going to God because God is the only help of your countenance. He is your only God. Uh, Job 13, what a great, great statement by Job, verses 14 and 15. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. I will trust in him. Nevertheless, I will argue my ways before him. And here's a great verse for you to take hold of. Isaiah 50, verse 10. If you are walking in darkness without a ray of light, Trust in the Lord and rely on your God. Isn't that great? If you are walking in darkness without a ray of light, trust in the Lord and rely on your God. And the way you rely on Him is by embracing His promises. 
As we read in the notes, when we are perplexed, God does not explain himself. He gives promises. I'll close this session. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Habakkuk. This is one of my favorite books in the entire Bible, again, because I've struggled so much with disappointment. Habakkuk would have been a contemporary of Jeremiah, and he struggled just like Jeremiah did, didn't have as long a ministry of Jeremiah. And uh, I just have a few minutes to do this. If you, it's just three little chapters. You read chapter one, he is railing against God. You could sum it up this way. He says, God, you don't care, and you're not fair. That sums up chapter one. It's just the prophet going after God. And then even after God says, Habakkuk, I, I, I'm at work. I'm doing something you can't even understand. And he mentions about he's going to bring the Babylonians down from the north, use them as a rod of iron. And then, and then he just goes crazy at that point. Habakkuk, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Babylonians? We may be bad, but they're worse. And he's just right. He's arguing with God. So God just lets him go, get it all out, and in the entire book, he never gives him an explanation. But chapter 2 is the key to the book. In chapter 2, he gives him three promises. The first promise is found in verse 4. He says, Behold, as for the proud, his soul is not right with him, but the righteous will live by faith. He said, Habakkuk, you may not can trace my hand right now but will you trust my heart? Will you believe everything you've preached and taught that I truly am good and compassionate and holy and just? And then the second promise is in verse 14. He says, Habakkuk, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In other words, Habakkuk, the outcome of this whole thing is fixed by me. I mean, we may be in the fourth quarter. It looks like the team's down. There's no way we can make a comeback. But I've got a few tricks up my sleeve. And this, we're going to pull this thing out. It may be in overtime, but we're pulling it out because I win when it's all over. And those that are with me are going to win. And they will be victorious. So he gives us an incredible promise. I know you're struggling right now, but I, I, in other words, what's he saying? Let's go back to our book illustration. You remember, don't close the book on God too quick. Wait till he finishes the story. God is basically saying, hey, Habakkuk, wait till I finish the story. And then you'll, just, you'll see how good and how great I am and that I can do the impossible. And then I love this one. The last promise is verse 20. He says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. In the Hebrew language, the, the, the sense of that is, it would be almost like a parent comforting his child. It's almost as if God is saying, Habakkuk, shh, And take the child in the arms. It's okay. I'm here. I'm in control. And we'll, I'm going to take care of this. I'm on my throne. I haven't abdicated the throne. I'm still calling the shots. And everything's working together f for your good. The ultimate good of my people and my glory. So just, shh, it's okay.
And then you go to chapter 3, and it's amazing. The prophet's attitude totally changes now. And we'll, we'll, we'll end with this. Look at the, uh, you, most of you are familiar with this. Uh, I'll begin reading verse 16, chapter 3. He says, I heard, and my inward parts trembled. At the sound of my lips, uh, at sound my lips quivered. A decay enters my bones, and in my uh, place I tremble, because I must wait quietly for the day of distress, uh, for the people to arise who will invade us. In other words, he realizes the Babylonian captivity is imminent. And he says, it is terrifying. And I am quivering, and I'm shaking, uh, knowing that's coming. But then he makes this incredible statement of faith. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. And he has made my feet like hinds feet. And makes me walk on my high places. And the literal rendering of verse 18 in the Hebrew text is, I will put my delight in God and I will spin around for delight. I mean, don't you love how Shabbos over here is dancing all the time when they're praising? Leading his praise word. I need to come up here and dance with one of the, one of the songs. And, and, and but that's what the prophet is saying. He says, I, I, I'm just rejoicing in God. I may not can trace his hand, but I'm trusting his heart. I believe when, it, when, the, when the story is complete, it's going to be good because God is great and God is good. And yes, he is on the throne. And I can quiet myself and focus on him knowing that he's got it covered. I don't have to worry about outcomes. I just need to keep my eyes on God because the one who loves me most knows what is best for me. Amen? Amen. Bow with me in prayer. Father, Jeremiah teaches us much. In many ways, it's, it's been a, a tough lesson. We've looked at a man who knew no success in ministry for 40 years, or over 50 years, who struggled with persecution, pain, perplexity, often railed against you, questioned you, even challenged you that you were deceiving him. Yet, Lord, we discover that as he articulated his pain, as he continued to go to you with his pain and perplexity, that there is where he found ultimate resolution, to be able to, in his weakness, remain strong for you and stand alone for you in his culture. So Lord, help us see in this session that as we encounter adversity, as we encounter distress and persecution, uh, that we must run to you because in you is the only place we'll find any answers. And Lord, teach us as you had to teach Habakkuk that when we're struggling and perplexed, you don't typically give explanations, you give promises. And Lord, give us the grace to embrace those promises and put our trust in you. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.